Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on March the 26th, 2013. Newcomers, as always, uh, I suggest you make good use of the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com to understand the system you're born into and how it runs, uh, who designed it all, and where it's supposed to go. Because you're living through big, big changes uh, planned a long, long, long time ago, long before you were born, in fact. And uh, some of these changes took 50-year plans, 75-year plans, 100-year plans to make happen. And you're living through the culmination of quite a lot of it today, in fact, with things that are going on. And I'll touch on that tonight. So make sure that you understand how it works. It's not everything that exists uh, isn't quite uh, as natural as a gravity. It's simply because you're, when you're born, you think that it must be normal. It's, it's all there, so it must be normal. No, it's all planned that way. You're living in systems, you understand. And there's one big system running the whole world right now into the global society that's going to affect everybody big time. Already is, but much, much more uh, very, very shortly, in fact. And remember, too, you're the audience that bring me to you. You can help me take along by getting the books and discs at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and uh, and donating, too, hopefully, because the things are getting pretty tight and it costs a lot of cash. And this is all renewal time for all the sites and everything else going up right, right now, in fact, going on right now. So from the US to Canada, if you want to buy the books and so on or donate, you can always use a personal check or an international postal money order from the post office, or you can say in cash or use PayPal. Across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal. And as I say, straight donations are really seriously, seriously welcome. Because, uh, believe you me, I get a lot of problems in this end of things, even with the phone that can be working fine all day long, and suddenly it'll go out to 8, p- 8 o'clock when I'm on the air. Uh, it's an awful coincidence, isn't it? And things like that happen all the time, or the satellite goes out at 8 p.m. again, things like that. So uh, I get a lot of uh, harassment, you might call it, because, after all, if you're talking about things that really, really matter, uh, then people at the top don't like that. They want you to be involved in trivia and what others are giving you to, to follow, uh, which leads you around in circles and you get nowhere. You don't really understand what's going on. Because the last thing that the big boys at the top want people to do at the bottom is to start to, to get involved and uh, get political, if you might say, and demanding uh, because uh, they want to ram all these big changes through quietly and have you uh, like peons on, on the surface of the earth watching comets go off in outer space because that literally uh, is like the big changes. That's how much, how much involvement you have in these big changes at the moment. None at all. You're just passive observers. And most of the folk don't even know what they're watching or looking at. And that's where they want you all to be. You see, you've been trained that way. So, as I say, on this particular program, or broadcast, I prefer to call it, programming is indoctrination, you might say. But uh, on this broadcast, I like to really inform the people and educate them as to what's really going on. Because, as I say, we have the right to know. We've been trained that we don't. Lots of folk actually believe that, that we don't have the right to know. They believe that special folk should run the world while they go off and play at the bottom. 
But again, most of people say no. We've got to know. If we don't know, I tell you, it's going to be hell. Hell on earth. And that's the, the, the future they're bringing in for the most people on the planet. It's hell on earth. And the changes, as I say, that, are, that I'll be talking about tonight really are going to affect you all because right now there's, there's so many agreements being signed by all, all what you think are your leaders in international agreements that um, that's going to change your way of life forever. And your economy bring you into austerity big time and it's going to make the, those who are rich incredibly, even richer, believe it or not. All the billionaires will be trillionaires in, in a matter of a very short space of time. We'll be back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, Cutting Through the Matrix, and if you go into the archive section at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, you'll find talks I've given, uh, audios for free download, uh, on the Royal Institute of International Affairs, and its precursors too, because the Cecil Rhodes Foundation, that was Cecil Rhodes and, and Lord Rothschild at the time, formed their own foundation organization uh, to bring in a, a global culture, really a, a financial culture worldwide, you might say. And I've gone through the history of that. And then they joined with the Alfred Milner group. And Alfred Milner, although he was born in Germany, became a lord in Britain. And he formed a big society that, uh, again, pushed the British Empire and even forced them into wars, like the Boer War. In fact, they've been behind quite a lot of wars. And that was actually stated by their own inside uh, historian, of their own version of history in the Council on Foreign Relations, Royal Institute of International Affairs, same group. And anyway, they formed their own of international affairs, again, private organizations um, that run academia, the top uh, Ivy League schools in, in different countries. And they also are, are heavily involved in owning and running the media and what you're told is fact or truth or whatever, or daily events even. So they give you your reality, you might say as well. But uh, they also, their, their main thing in the early 20th century was pushing for various what they called pan uh, American agreements and pan-European agreements. The, the idea was to to form groups that uh, would both be inside and outside of government uh, that would form particular groups that would start uh, working on, on legalities to bring in, in, uh, to bring countries together and, and even continents together under binding trade agreements under the guise of free trade. And they, they used the British Empire system as a model to base it on. Then they brought in the U.S. As I say, they, brought, they formed the Council on Foreign Relations branch in the U.S. and handed the torch over to them, literally. And they were to start to finance the wars. They would need to bring all this about. And they would also supply the men and the taxes and all the rest of it to pay for it all. So since then, the U.S. has been the global policeman and everything else in the big honcho and trade. But eventually all these were to, to come together in different regional trade blocks. This is going back, as I say, in the, the early 1900s. Uh, they wanted to bring in trade blocks. Exactly the same as Karl Marx talked about, two, three huge trading blocks. So United Europe, all the way through Russia even, and then they'd have the Pacific Rim group, 
and they would have uh, a North American or American group, complete Americas, that is, from Alaska all the way down to South America. So they'd all come into it, and it's all it's been on the go quietly, quietly all the time for many, many years as they bind treaties that bring them closer and closer together. And right now, they have all the big meetings going on for the finalization of all of this. And it's hardly, I don't think it's mentioned in, in, in mainstream at all. So it, there's an article put up tonight, it's called Economic Integration Towards the North America, EU Transatlantic Free Trade Zone. And it's his final push for a Canada-EU CETA and the coming NAFTA and EU free trade zone. So it's a complete combination now that they're binding Canada, the US, Mexico, and other Latin American countries together. And they're also binding it to, to the EU. There's already one, one group, one block under the EU European Parliament. And it's his pressure is mounting on Canada to finish up a long-delayed free trade deal with the EU, despite outstanding issues that still must be settled. It's a final push to try and complete an agreement this summer that both sides are able to secure a deal would lay the groundwork for the proposed US-EU trade pact. There's a possibility that US-EU transatlantic trade uh, talks could also include the other NAFTA partners and maybe even other countries. Mexico's already shown interest in joining, and if Canada can't put the final touches on their own agreement with the EU, they might also be part of the negotiations. This would facilitate plans for the coming NAFTA, EU free trade zone, and the formation of a transatlantic economic union. Exactly what it's like. What is rereading um, Carol Quigley's book on the Anglo-American establishment? because he was the insider historian for the Council on Foreign Relations. And he was all for this, of course. Since after almost four years of negotiations between Canada and the European Union on a comprehensive economic and trade agreement, and I've got the links for these, I'll put them all up tonight at cuttingthroughmates.com. And this, this uh, comprehensive economic and trade agreement is called CETA, C-E-T-A. They're bogged down in the final stages. Both sides have missed numerous deadlines to wrap things up. There's uncertainty when or if CETA will even get done. Prime Minister Stephen Harper recently tried to boost trade talks with, um, and it says that he acknowledged that considerable progress towards a free trade deal has already been achieved, but admitted there are still important issues that need to be resolved before any agreement can be finalized. Harper also explained that it would be to Canada's advantage to sign a deal with Europe before the U.S. does. Actually, that's baloney because they both, both want it. And it says, um, and it's all been discussed for the last umpteen years. Before his trip to Canada, Ariolt was sent a letter by civil society groups voicing opposition to CETA and the Investor Protection Chapter that would grant corporations the power to challenge government policies that restrict their profits. They can actually sue countries. Now, they're already doing that in Europe. Britain's been sued quite a few times after joining the big trade bloc there in the European Union. In fact, they were even sued for trying to sell oak. They said it wasn't straight enough in grain. No kidding. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. So there are key issues which remain stumbling blocks and are preventing Canada and the EU from reaching an agreement. Academic researcher and law professor Michael Geist argued that with the EU the stronger of the two parties, it doesn't see any urgency to compromise. In fact, with a growing number of EU negotiations, including talks with the US, compromise with Canada may undermine its position in more economically important deals. In other words, it's to terrify the public. Uh, you know, we'll all have to go into it or we'll be left behind. That's, they've been using this con for a hundred years as we get poorer and poorer. He also laid out different possibilities for the future of CETA, includes Canada continuing to hold out hope for a compromise which thus far has failed. They could cave into EU demands, but this might hurt the conservative choices in the 2015 election. 
Geis pointed out another scenario which would involve Canada joining the US-EU talks and CETA being replaced by the transatlantic free trade area. Now, that's what's called TAFTA. So you've got, you got NAFTA, TAFTA, and CETA, and all these other ones too, because we're, we're joining all these international blocks of, of trade countries. But I'll put this one up tonight for you, for those who want to wade through it, because there's a lot of stuff here, and uh, you, you can't go through it all in one night, obviously. It's just too much. And most folks don't even know the background of it, what's really behind it, because as I say, we're just like little beings on the surface of the planet watching a comet pass through outer space and go on its way. It's like we've got nothing, no input into it at all. It's done by private organizations which also use your governments to sign away all your rights uh, all your constitutions, everything else into these trade deals to bring in the global charters and so on. And it says, transatlantic trade deals is other article lobbying opportunities through the back door. It says, for years, American companies uh, interested in doing business in Europe have faced various barriers to enter and operate in the EU market. Astronomical tariffs were to blame in some cases, but a major impediment has certainly been the different and complex regulatory regime. For all those U.S. firms that have encountered a difficult regulatory environment in Europe, but also those that were previously deterred as a result of the tariff and non-tariff barriers, the news that the U.S. and the European Union would formally launch free trade negotiations this year should be music to their ears and a wake-up call. The trade deal would undoubtedly provide enormous opportunities for American industry, uh, international of course. It says the benefits to business will most certainly come from the elimination of tariffs, free trade, you see, in particular in those sectors where they have been remarkably high. But tariffs alone have not been the only buyer to trade. Most benefits for the industry, in fact, will mainly derive from the smoothing out of regulatory differences that so far have been an impediment to trade. What they're really talking about is going to make it easy for the ultra-rich to invest abroad. In other words, move vast amounts of capital without penalization. And also, too, the reason, one of the reasons the taxes have been up for years under free trade is that with every new uh, incomer to free trade, uh, that, that uh, you actually make agreements to buy so much of their produce, whether you want to or not, or even if you need it or not. And also, too, as they do away with the tariffs, which is import duties, the government isn't shrinking, it's expanding, because therefore it's going to put all the tariffs, the taxes, onto the people who earn money at home. That's all of you, you see. So with all these free trade agreements and less and less import duties coming on, then you have to make up the difference in your, from your taxes. That's why the ordinary people are going to get poorer and poorer, and they have been too for quite a long time. At one time, remember, governments existed solely by import duties. Import duties was the way they do it, and, and they, were, they did pretty well. They had no problems at all. And then, of course, once they started income taxes and so on, they could really plunder the, the people at the bottom and create lots of crises to get more cash off them and wars and all the rest of it. And as they're going along with free trade, believe you me, it's going to double your taxes down the road as they do away with import duties. So I'll put this link up too. And also tonight, I've got a whole stack of stuff to put up. I'll put up uh, this one here, Trans-Pacific Partnership. And translate trade talks and lobbying opportunities through the back door. Address to U.S. Chamber of Commerce, W World Trade Organization. They're all the World Trade Organization right now. All the leaders are signing all this stuff into existence, making it all legal. 
Argentina uh, ratifies trade policy before WTO, World Trade Organization. Now, the World Trade Organization, too, is something that no one had any input in. Ordinary people have no input whatsoever in anything that really matters today. Really don't. And the World Trade Organization are the same group as private group that even has its own star chamber to decide who gets trade, who doesn't, who can get fined, who can't get fined. And they actually do the trials of it, and it's behind in a star chamber. There's no public allowed into it. It's a separation of, of, of the system of what you think is government into private hands. Also, I've got um, Canada economic integration. Elusive South Korea free trade deal is very close. The EU trade deal in Japan is coming in. These are all getting signed right now. The EU wants to include financial services in the the US as part of this deal. Free trade and unrestricted capital flow and how billionaires get rich and destroy the rest of us. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt, we're cutting through the matrix, talking about the World Trade Organization, free trade and all the agreements that are being signed right now, in fact, as they keep integrating into closer ties, which mean you're bound completely legally, economically and every other way into this organization. And of course we get no votes on anything at all whatsoever, and we can't, uh, we can't do anything to stop it, it seems, because as I say, it's all above our heads, it's above uh, what you're given on national news, it's, given, it's above even what your, your governments are talking about on the national level, it's above it all, but they're all working towards it at the top level to make it all happen, believe you me. They don't want the public input whatsoever. And it says here, Geneva, Switzerland, that the World Trade Organization's leader, Pascal Lamy, told the Chinese group in Beijing Sunday, 24th March, that China, a harmonious society in China, will be difficult to achieve within a more harmonious world. China has become an agent of convergence in global issues. And Lamy was addressing the China Development Forum. This is all part of it, by the way. China's economic takeoff benefited from a stable external environment. Actually, China's takeoff was was actually done by uh, the WTO and, and the GATT treaty because we paid for all the factories to move to China under the guise of under the auspices of the World Trade Organization. Again, this organization that we have no votes on whatsoever, no say whatsoever. And, and it says here, its sustainability depends on a well-functioning global trading system. As a key stakeholder, China should take more proactive role in international economic governance. Lamy argued, saying that China should play a stronger role in the Doha Round meeting of the World Trade Organization in Bali in December 2013. So they've got meetings going on in the world right now, as all your top guys have sent people over there to sign agreements, and they've got another meeting in December as well. And most folk won't even know what you're talking about, because they, they, they just don't see it in the regular news whatsoever. But the, all the big boys have got it up on their websites, the United Nations and so on, because it's the most important thing that's happening right now. It really is. And also, too, as I say, I'll put all these other links up tonight to do with um, uh, EU wants to include financial services in the, the U.S. under this trade talk. France, France seeks a slower pace of negotiations for a U.S.-Europe trade pact. Uh, free trade and unrestricted capital flow. As I say, how billionaires get rich and destroy the rest of us. And the one I just read, Geneva Lunch News, it's from, it's from WTO, tells China to take on more governance work. 
and grounds for European global strategy. That's a supercommuter, he says. And Indonesia rejects the U.S. demand for a World Trade Organization panel. Now, the whole idea with these WTO panels is when you signed the WTO organization's agreements through their through their big uh, agreements that they sign every year, it says that you don't have to have a panel. But if, if the WTO main place in Switzerland demands it, then you have to get it there. The whole idea is so that you have a, a special WTO panel uh, working alongside government that's unelected and then the WTO can make changes legal and binding and, and just contact the staff that represent uh, you or your group of WTO panelists in your own country and get it done and bypass governments altogether. That's what it's for. You get one chance to deny it under the agreement, and then you must implement it and get this panel in there. Mexico will ask to join the, the, the US-EU transatlantic trade, trade agreements. This is all this pan stuff that came out in the 20s. Now it's called transatlantic and so on. Uh, Robert Zolik interviews US-EU transatlantic free trade agreements and also South uh, Korea, Japan, China free trade. Uh, US-EU trade deal is good for jobs and prosperity, propaganda. And um, US trade EU Germany, uh, again, uh, their integration to it. And WTO candidate says Canada needs more uh, diversifying approach to trade. So uh, these are all the links I'll put up tonight just on the free trade binding agreements that are going on right now, the next round that's going on right now. And believe you me, this affects you more in your way of living and in austerity uh, because eventually you run by a WTO, which is, is basically part of an international global power organization that none of you had any say in setting up whatsoever. And they'll have more power over all your countries because your countries are ceding power to the WTO with every binding treaty that they make. That's exactly what the Royal Institute of International Affairs said they were after back in the 1920s. And they're still behind it today because they set up all the stuff themselves. That's what really runs the world, not the the little puppets you have uh, as front men in governments today. This is what runs the world, for those who don't know. And I'll carry on with the regular stuff today, which seems kind of tame in a sense, because this is what they give you for regular stuff. Joe Biden's trip abroad gets even costlier with 322000 limo bill on top of a $1 million hotel stay. See, this is what gets you, oh, gee, that's terrible, blah, blah, blah. But what can you do about it? I mean, King Biden is going to enjoy himself like a pharaoh, uh, and many of his own people do the same sort of thing right now. And he's making the most of it. You know, it costs about half a million dollars to get an interview with him for an hour. Because he's all the, he can get all the deals made, big deals made for companies and corporations. And you think they're all serving you? Oh, wake up, folks. <laughs> this is not new. I mean, now, another article too is Goldman Sachs. It says, sorry, U.S. manufacturing is not coming back, it says here. This is one of the hottest trend stories. See, they give you trends now that keep you going around in circles, around and tell you, tell you about all the free trade deals that are going on right now that's going to affect everyone's lives. And it says that so the trend stories has been doing, uh, been the idea that U.S. manufacturing is on the verge of a large permanent comeback. But uh, Goldman Sachs says, no, I'm sorry, it's not going to come back at all. So it's just a, an urban legend, in other words. Back with more after this.
listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, we're cutting through the matrix, talking about the big crazy system where we're, we think we're living in. If this is, if this is life, goodness knows, eh? But we're getting hit from all angles at the bottom level. At least those who are awake, those who are not awake, of course, don't see anything wrong with anything. They're quite happy playing along, watching TV and playing on the internet and playing games and stuff. But uh, it's more unfortunate for those who are uh, kind of awake because they've got to put up with the stuff and they know what's happening. They know everything that's happening is pretty well wrong. And they know what's behind it, and there's nothing they feel they can do about it, really. Because uh, the politics, really, the political system was hijacked an awful long time ago, if it ever was real at all, in fact, by special interest groups and big uh, corporations, big foundations, of course. And they run the world, for themselves, that is. And he's an article, too, to do with the, the global warming uh, nonsense as well. And tonight, too, by the way, I'll put up another article I put up before, and it gives you a whole list of articles from the, from the 70s when the same groups that were screaming about man-made global warming today were talking about man-made global cooling in the coming ice age. It's a whole list of articles as they try to push the same projects through uh, using our, our, as our fault idea uh, at the same time uh, for causing it all and depopulation, all this stuff would have to go through, etc., etc. As they're doing with global warming, same people. They can change reality just by repetition, not by by objects, empirical uh, reality or, or, or objective science whatsoever. But he says here, flagship daily DeWelt uh, stuns Germany. Scientists warn of an ice age. It cites new peer-reviewed Russian study. This is the latest one. Mentioning the lethal 100-year record-smashing spring cold and snow spreading across Europe over the past months has for the most part been avoided like the plague by Germany's mainstream media. The silence over the record cold and frost, which has killed thousands and cost billions, has been ear-ringing. Yet some leading dailies are breaking ranks and begun to examine the phenomenon critically and openly. For example, veteran journalist Uli Kulke uh, at German flagship Daily today has stunned the rest of the German mainstream media with a piece titled Scientists Warn of Ice Age. Kulke writes that recently a growing number of scientific publications have been appearing in leading journals and that they have been challenging the simplistic one-dimensional CO2 explanation for climate change and showing that even the unlikely doubling of atmospheric CO2 concentration by 2050, if it would even happen, of course, which it won't, would not have dramatic effects. And Kilke writes, he says, he says, yet papers with such content, even though they have been passed, uh, they have passed the peer review process, do not make any headlines, but they have been becoming much more frequent recently. There's more scientists break ranks and say this is nonsense. Increasingly, it seems more and more scientists are now seeing huge opportunity in overturning one of the most ballyhooed scientific hypotheses of modern time and funding be damned, it says. And the newspaper piece, Kulke, asks if the record cold and snow over much of the northern hemisphere is just a coincidence. The odds are increasing that it's not, and it's not for nothing that a growing number of scientists are becoming friendly to other explanations, and that the body of evidence supporting a combination of explanations is taking shape quickly. 
He writes that it is therefore no surprise that two Russian scientists have recently joined the ever more thunderous chorus of alternative explanations on what drives climates. And he says it's probably no coincidence that even louder scientific opinions warnings of imminent ice periods are coming also from Russia. Vladimir Bashkin and Rolf Gololin have recently recognized the Ice Age possibility in a study. Both biogeochemists, a discipline that also includes the study of the Earth's atmosphere, have written a study for the Research Institute Venages of the Gazprom concern. An address, of course, that cannot be said is free of lobbyists. However, the arguments are underpinned by findings that are gaining more and more acceptance from independent science. Solar activity is weakening considerably to the extent that it was last seen several hundred years ago in the little ice age, according to the scientists. So it's what it just swings back and forth. I see weather has always been like this. And, of course, the boys at the top that push all this stuff know this. It goes up and down, up and down, back and forth. That's what, that's what weather is, you see. It's never been static. Never been static. Also tonight, too, I'll put up from a site that's monitoring the planned poisoning of humanity from all the chemtrails have been dumping on us for since 1998 on a continuous basis as they've been geoengineering the planet. And they have been doing it, folks. They're not going to do it, like they always say at their meetings. They have been doing it. And they know all the side effects it's causing in the population. They know that the death is caused by, by incubal bronchitis pneumonias. They know what's happening, and the massive allergic, allergic responses everyone's getting to. They know what's happening. You know, staff, they admit it to be sued crazy. So they'll never admit it, even though you see it with your own eyes. And also this article, too, that's from Bloomberg, and it says that, um, it says uh, that uh, we're going to have more visibility and less privacy. So Bloomberg admits that soon the NYPD surveillance cameras will be on nearly every corner and in the air. He says, wait in five years, the technology is getting better. There'll be cameras every place, whether you like it or not, Bloomberg said Friday. The argument against using automation is just the craziness that, oh, it's big brother, get used to it, he says. See, this is your real authoritarian society you're in today. They said at the Club of Rome back in the 70s, They'd have to replace democracy when, it, when, they, when they make good use of it, mind you, because they've always used it for even invading other countries. We'll force democracy upon them. <laughs> now it's the same con game of the system that we live under. But get used to it. So it's an authoritarian society you're in today, if you haven't noticed, under the guise of anti-terrorism and everything else. But... um. It says here that um, they're showing off the new cameras and all the rest of it, and Big Brother is watching, again, repetition, get used to it. And envisioning a future where privacy is a thing of the past, Bloomberg said Friday it will soon be impossible to escape the watchful eye of surveillance cameras and even drones in the city. He had not acknowledged privacy concerns, but said you can't keep the tides from coming in. See, they call this progress, and you're supposed to go into that, that clicking phase where you're stuck between reality, what you think, and what they're telling you. Of course you can stop it. I mean, you've all got the bomb, that um, bomb, but you don't use it, I hope. But you don't use it because we'll keep the agreements not to use it, right? So you can do the same thing with all this, this high-tech stuff. You don't have to use it, even though you could. He says, you're waiting five years. Um, this technology is getting better. There'll be cameras everywhere, whether you like it or not. And security measures have drawn scorn from some civil libertarians, but Bloomberg scoffed at privacy concerns on his Friday morning program on uh, War AM, AM, War AM, I guess is his station. The argument against using automation is just as craziness as Big Brother.
and the New York Civil Liberties Union has to document nearly 2,400 surveillance cameras fixed on public spaces in Manhattan alone. Many are operated by the police and others by property owners. In Lower Manhattan, an initiative de- developed after 9-11 known as the Ring of Steel integrates the NYPD's cameras with those of banks and other institutions. But in the future, the cameras won't just be planted on buildings and utility poles. Some of them will be able to fly, the mayor pointed out. He said, it's scary, but what's the difference whether the drone is up in the air or in the building? I mean, intellectually, I have trouble making the distinction. As you know, you're going to face recognition software. People are working on that. He warned that drones would be able to peep into private residences, but that peeping Tom legislation could keep uh, help maintain some privacy. Yeah, for certain people like himself, it will be. Yeah. It's just that we're getting into a different world, uncharted, he said. No, it's all planned, folks. Everything's been thought out in advance. They don't just go ahead and do it. Different strokes for different folks, you see. And, of course, they get all these exemptions. They can get all their wiki stuff cleaned off, boom, gone. The important stuff. And and stuff throughout the internet, boom, gone. Just like that. You can't get that. And they made all the deals in Britain and the U.S. and elsewhere. The VIPs, very important people, can have all personal information. Uh, uh, it doesn't go through all the regular channels that it gets diverted in from you. It goes into all the different organizations. They all grab it. And this article is pretty good, too, uh, because it's very important. It says, new kinds of genetically modified plants and pesticides are, are not being assessed for safety. See, this other thing, too, is running all the stuff through that you're forced to eat, and they won't label them in Canada and places like that. And it says in a, in a new uh, peer-reviewed paper published by the international team from New Zealand, Brazil, and Australia, in the prestigious journal Environmental International, the researchers Jack A. Heinemann, Sarah G., so a whole bunch of them anyway, have found that government safety regulators are failing to consider important risks of new kinds of genetically modified plants and some emerging co-technologies. The plants are designed to make a form of genetic information called double-stranded RNA. They call it DSRNA, double-stranded different. While most existing GM plants are designed to make new proteins, these new GM plants make DSRNA in order to alter the way genes are expressed. In other words, can you turn them on or off? Recent research has shown that DSRNAs can transfer from plants to humans and other animals through the food that you're eating. Potentially, they could also be transferred into people by inhaling dust from the plants or breathing in flour from GM wheat while baking with it or by absorption through the skin. The same technology is being developed for spraying directly onto plants as a type of pesticide spray. Another purpose use is to feed DSRNAs to an insect such as bees to try and control bee viruses. While RNA is a normal component of all cells, in DSRNA form it can have effects that depend on the species and tissues exposed to it. According to adjunct associate professor Judy Carman of Flinders University and co-author of the paper, the DSRNA molecules in GM plants may work exactly as intended and have no other effects. On the other hand, they may have effects that were not predicted both on their target organisms and other organisms such as people and wildlife. We won't know until we do thorough assessments, and these assessments have not yet been done. The authors collectively reviewed three food or environmental safety regulators with jurisdiction in three countries, Australia, Brazil, and New Zealand. The regulatory decisions were on three different kinds of GM plants that do or may produce new DSRNA molecules and were intended for use as food or animal feed. The authors recorded their advice to the regulators and responses from the regulators. 
Well, anyway, this, this article goes on to, to say what they did with the testing and so on. Just to our surprise, we found that there are no internationally agreed protocols or even guidelines for how to conduct a thorough and proper risk assessment on products with new DSRNA molecules in them. So Professor Jack Heinemann of Canterbury University, New Zealand, member of the ENSSSER and the study lead author. To fill this gap, the authors have developed the first formal assessments procedure for DSRNA-based products, whether living genetically modified organisms or agents that are sprayed onto plants. Now, remember too, this is called epigenetics. Now, epigenetics is a big thing in bio-warfare, folks. Big thing. They've been working on bio-genetics, on these, these things for years because in epigenetics, they can switch on and off genes in your brain and elsewhere through your body. There's a whole lot of things that can be done with it. They're, they're really switches, they're like switches. And now it's, put into, it's been put into your food and you're eating the food. I hope you understand what I'm saying here. And there's another article on it too. It says the widespread dangers of this technique have been proposed to people all over the world, including many scientists and farmers are up in arms about it. The countries have banned GMO crops from insisting on label. It says now that the game is changing, it'll make even things, things even more unpredictable. It says the GM Watch reports is GMO innovation designed food plants to make new double-stranded DSRNA. It says if you imagine the gene structures a board covered with light bulbs, in the course of living, uh, some genes light up, which is activation, and some genes go dark, so they go silent at different times. This new designed RNA can change that process, and no one knows why. Well, I bet they do know why at the top, the very highest level. No one knows because no safety studies have been done. If you have genes lighting up and going dark in unpredictable ways, the functions of a plant or a body can change randomly. Genes that were doing their job could stop doing their jobs. Other genes that were dormant could spring into action and perform tasks that weren't meant to be performed. Now, getting back to epigenetics, one of the biggest fields in science right now, because remember, two all the ones at the top have talked about altering human behavior. And they've even talked about ways of turning genes on and off, making you complacent, happy, and all the rest of it. The perfect society to be governed. Think about it, folks. And now it's getting put into your food. Oh, it's all coincidence, of course. And this other article too, uh, Monsanto Protection Act slips silently through Congress, gives them complete protection from any lawsuits for anything that happens to you after you eat their stuff. So the U.S. House of Representatives quietly passed a last-minute addition to the Agricultural Appropriations Bill for 2013 last week, including a provision protecting genetically modified seeds from litigation in the face of health risks. Uh, The rider, which is officially known as the Farmer Assurance Provision, has been derided by opponents of biotech lobbying as the Monsanto Protection Act, as it would strip federal courts of the authority to immediately halt the planting and sale of genetically modified seed crop, regardless of any consumer health concerns. The provision, also described as a biotech rider, should have gone through the Agricultural Judiciary Committee for review. Instead, no hearings were held, and the piece was evidently unknown to most Democrats who hold the majority in the Senate prior to its approval as part of H.R. 993, the short-term funding bill that was approved to avoid a federal government shutdown. So they slip the noise things all in. Senator John Tester proved to be the lone dissenter to the so-called Monsanto Protection Act, uh, though his proposed amendments to stop the writer from the bill was never put to vote. 
as the U.S. legal system functions today and largely a result of prior lawsuits, the USDA is required to complete uh, environmental impact statements prior to both the planting and sale of GMO crops. The extent and effectiveness to which the USDA exercises this rule is in itself a source of serious dispute. So, understand Monsanto has been uh, put up. It's like it's like Gates and Microsoft. I mean, they know that the the water is part for them. There's big, big, big organization behind them, not the ones you're even voting for. We above your political system. Your political system is told by the big organizations above it what to do. And Monsanto is a big one. That's why I could sue all the farmers for years and get away with it, even though they, you know, they weren't planting their crops, they were getting blown in and all the rest of it. And it's so ludicrous when one judge in Canada actually said, I don't care if a bird poops it into the soil on your farmland, it's now on your farmland. So they find them and they put you out of business. This is big gangsterism. And that's how the world is really run. Big money, big gangsterism. And very, very important stuff too. And by the way, all the countries that are signing that the, the World Trade Organization integration pacts right now are also making sure that Monsanto gets to supply the planet. After all, you've got to get the rest of the people standardized across the world, getting dumber and stupider. But not the ones at the top, they don't eat the same stuff as you do. And also this article too is called Farmers' War Against GM Crops. This is a farmer, I don't want to see GM crops grow in the UK or Europe because it'll put farmers in the food chain in the hands of a few companies, intensifies farming, and I've seen that them in a number of countries around the world, they're not going to feed the world or make farmers more profit or give environmental benefits. And it's true enough, they came out at the first and said, oh, you know, one, one insecticide only, one herbicide, and that's all you'll need to use. Now, of course, there's so many weeds resistant to like Monsanto's Roundup Ready and things like that, that they've got to start using. They're using all the old herbicides they used to use in the past. They also admit, too, that, that even Monsanto's crops are often less uh, than the, the term in, in bulk than the stuff they were using before. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. Going through the big system that we call reality, of course it's all manufactured and planned by higher powers, you might say, and we all soak it up thinking that's all there is to life. And of course it's far removed from that at all. Big planning certainly goes on. Uh, thousands of think tanks working at every facet of society are hard at work, of course, working for private organizations and the big international corporations all the time and, getting, and drafting up laws which they even hand to government to put through. But, of course, the money runs the world, and again, getting back to the whole issue of international affairs that formed the League of Nations, that formed the United Nations, and and also worked with the Bank for International Settlements, helped set that up, the, and the RIA, Royal Institute of International Affairs, set up the Bank for International Settlements. It was to be the kingpin over all the central banking systems, the private banks of the world, these central banking systems. And they would run the world through economic rules, because if you run them through economic rules, you run everything else. Everything else goes along with it. And, of course, in Canada, there was very quiet during the bank crashes of the States, and even gave it propaganda, saying the banks are in good shape in Canada. It wasn't until about uh, last year they came out and admitted they were bailing out the banks in Canada. That's how passive Canadians are. We get, we, we, we're still a colony, you see. 
Fellows don't get the idea. You're still run just like a colony. You've given very little information about politics at all, what's happening in your country. And it says here that Ottawa, Canada's six largest banks have been designated as too big to be allowed to fail. Too big to fail, see? For the country by the federal regulator, meaning they'll be subject to more stringent capital requirements and supervision. Says the Office of the Superintendent of Financial Institutions said the designation stems from a framework issued by the Basel Committee on Banking Oversight in October. That's from the Bank for International Settlements that runs the world. They set out guidelines for assess, assessing domestic financial institutions. Under the OSFI requirements, the Bank of Montreal, Bank of Nova Scotia, Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce, National Bank of Canada, Royal Bank of Canada, Toronto, Toronto Dominion Bank will be subject to, to an additional 1% capital buffer for risk. Uh, the banks will need to have a common equity tier, one ratio of 8% as compared with 7% for smaller, less important financial institutions as of January the 1st, 2016. The measures are designed to limit the likelihood that a major bank would encounter distress or failure that could negatively impact the Canadian economy or taxpayers, the OSFI head Julie Dixon said on a news release. In November, the Financial Stability Board updated its list of 28 international financial institutions that were assessed too big to fail, but none of the Canadian banks made the grade. However, OSFI said the banks are systematically, um, systemically uh, important to the green economy by virtue of their size, their interconnectedness, and substitutability and flexibility. Barclays Capital Analyst John Aiken said the announcement was expected by markets and was unlikely to affect the bank's evaluation. Given the capital positions of the banks under the Basel III guidelines and the fact that the transition will have three years to be implemented, we don't believe that this will be an onerous burden for the Canadian banks, he said. So it says anyway, the six biggest banks in Canada account for over 90% of total banking assets in Canada. And so I guess it's rather important that they, that they get them all fixed up. But it's, it's again, I'd like at the whole report actually, because there'll be a lot more that not telling you in this particular article or news release here. And it's a news release, this. Most things you get are news releases by the organizations themselves. So they tell you what they want the public to know, and that's about all. And we call it democracy. Well, it's been a rush through tonight, as always, but uh, from Hamish, myself, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your God's school with you.